This week in retail news, the winners of this year's Adobe Analytics Challenge have some solid suggestions for Nike. Meanwhile, Gap, Kohl's, and H&M are among the many retailers that have signed on to Group9 Media's new commerce platform. And this just in, Euro fashion brand Bebe is making moves in an unexpected retail vertical. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, November 23rd, and this is your Retail Rundown. Welcome to the show. Today, we're joined by my guests, Deb Johnny Deb and Alexander Jenoff. Deb Johnny is the co founder and CEO of Zine One, a predictive engagement platform that creates positive outcomes for brands and consumers. Alex holds a PhD in experimental social psychology and currently leads customer research for the Zappos family of companies. Debjani, Alex, thanks for joining today. It's great to be here. My pleasure. So the first bit of news we'll go over is Nike, one of our favorite brands. In a play to improve its digital game, they agreed to be the corporate partner for this year's Adobe Analytics Challenge. And this is a 15-year-old competition, and they gave university student teams across the globe access to evaluate data from Nike's digital site. The winning team is from the Indian Institute of Technology, and they had suggestions for how Nike could redesign its website, improve engagement on social media, and focus better on likely buyers. As part of the Gen Z team's redesign, it recommended a feature called, quote, Journey Tour for first-time users that replicates the experience of walking into a physical Nike store. The redesign also included a chatbot that would mimic a store associate, and for engagement, the team recommended creating a, quote, social hub, and that was explained as a networking site that would incentivize users to create an account in order to receive Nike discounts and benefits. So I'll pass this to you first, Alex. Do you agree with Team Alpha's redesign and engagement suggestions for Nike? And what feature recommendations would you think of for retailers that are redesigning digital? Sure, Julie, that's a great question. Uh, So first of all, you know, I want to mention my big support for such collaborations between companies and uh, academia. And I spent uh, quite a few years in academia you know, primary research and innovation that comes from universities and from academia can be applied to the industry, and then the industry can support financially uh, efforts that that make sense. So I think it can work really well. And in this case, uh, again, Nike, like you said, is a fantastic company, one of the most valuable brands out there. I'm a big fan of their digital experiences, physical stores, and uh, just the whole approach that they take to retail and innovation, and not knowing exactly the, the details of these um, suggestions or, or redesigns, I cannot intelligently speak to them really in depth. But what I would say is, if you're customer-centric, you usually start from the customer need, right? And th- this is a bit of a kind of the cart before the horse a little bit, I would say. It feels like it was... Um, application of technology and then the teams were looking for problems to solve again i don't know if that was the case but without really understanding consumers first in depth and their needs and jobs to be done and so on it's great to apply new technologies but i think it would be even better if you really understood the customer need and then sold it through the application of new technology so for example let's take this virtual tour you know a lot 
you know, people and companies have tried this before, you know, these virtual worlds where you walk through, you have an avatar, walk around. They never panned out really in, in the commercial setting. They're really great in video games, right? So these are two different mindsets. Then in terms of the chatbot, again, the chatbot is a how. I would say a what is or the purpose would be bringing the spirit of customer service to the digital world. That's something that I'm really passionate about and trying to help Zappos to bring the spirit of customer service to the digital experience. Because right now, I, I believe there's a big opportunity there. And then the last one was this community. Again, I don't know if customers necessarily go to Nike to join a community in general. It seems like a business need to get people to sign up. I mean, consumers nowadays see through those things. So I'll be careful how you apply technology that doesn't start with a customer need. It's actually very interesting that the timing of this, right? I was reading somewhere at the beginning of this year, pre-COVID, if you remember, there was a lot of discussion of direct-to-consumer by a lot of the brands that have traditionally th sold through retail channels. And I was reading that Nike's goal was 30% direct-to-consumer, and the goal was about a year out or so. In the last five or six months of COVID, apparently that goal has been surpassed. So just imagine this very, very, very gigantic global brand whose uh, transition to direct-to-consumer has been so fast that they are sort of in the midst of how do you then therefore take that ever-growing digital channel and make it seamless in its journey from the digital to the physical to the retailer and so on and so forth. So there's the idea of the omni-channel has become ever-present, ever more so now, given sort of COVID has led us into a set of circumstances. I have been a strong believer that data is a democratized asset. Data could reside anywhere. The engagement is what it powers, a very intelligent sort of engagement. And I'm so very happy to see Nike doing this in a crowdsourcing manner, essentially, you know, getting the best minds in the universities to come together to suggest things. So here, the ability to really personalize the customer journey using data that they already have and resides within those platforms that here too has been locked essentially within those platforms and not used to enable this sort of a seamless customer experience across channels is an awesome initiative, I think. And it's, I think, a must-have if you are appealing to the Uber generation as they are evolving. That Uber generation, as they evolve, demand contextual interactions wherever they are. They need for the brand to know them. They need for the brand to respect their context and they need for the brand to react to them in real time. So things like this that Nike is doing is essentially a path to enable those sort of journeys seamlessly across channels, especially with a growing digital presence. I cannot agree more with Devjani about, I mean, this Devjani gave a, a beautiful example of this customer-centric goal, which is a seamless experience across channels. I think that's a worthy goal, right? Signing up people to create accounts is not a customer center, but this seamless 
interaction is what people look for. And I think if then the data is applied to that goal, I think it would be great, right? I think where companies kind of stumble is where they start with a method, which is let's use data. And then how can we now apply it, right? And in terms of personalization, that's another topic that's uh, near and dear to my heart, which is as a psychologist, I've been trying to help Zappos understand their customers as people. And that's my pitch is when I give these keynote talks is understand customers as people. People are not data. People are not numbers. Yes. And I think if, if we achieve this balance right between the big data and then the psychology of the consumer, I think that's when the magic happens, right? Because too many times we say, okay, we have this new technology. It's big data, data science. Let's use it versus like, what are we solving for, right? And, and we, we struggle with this even at Zappos. Like we have a algorithm that's written by brilliant people, but then do you check with actual consumers? Do you get feedback if it's really working for you? Because personalization, it's a buzzword. But right now in e-commerce, I would say in commerce, personalization is just best guess recommendations, mm-hmm. right? But how do you make it so that people actually say, Wow, how did you know that? I didn't even know that I needed this or I would like this. That's the goal versus I just bought a sink. How about 10 more sinks that you can purchase right here, right? Exactly. Like I'm not outfitting a hotel or something like this, right? You know, there was a conversation about this at the Gartner conference. And I think Gartner said, help is the next personalization mantra, which is to say that things have evolved from exactly what you said, you know, just because I bought this, give me 10 more of that versus understand me and help me in this moment in time with the context that I have and what I need. They also did a survey very interestingly about age groups, the Uber generation, the newer age groups said they would trade convenience versus security. So The data can be used for convenience. And if it's convenience, use my data. The older generation, the boomers said the opposite, which is I prefer security rather than convenience. So I think there is a changing demographic where data will become more and more useful and needed and demanded because that Uber generation is demanding a different kind of experience. I completely agree. And, and it's in our research, we found very interesting when you, when you dive a little bit deeper under the surface, right? You see individual differences in terms of security versus convenience, right? Data security. And that's probably partly its personality, partly its attitude, partly it's our interactions with commerce. I mean, we track on a quarterly basis trust in retailers in general in the U.S. It's a question we used that was developed by the creator of the Net Promoter Score. And it's basically retailers always have my best interest as a customer in mind, you know, from from zero to 10, the net is a dismal minus 40, 50, 60. Mm-hmm. It's really, there's no trust in retail because of these practices. So you take that. And I think you're right, Johnny. I think younger consumers tend to be more trusting, but maybe that's because they haven't gotten a chance to be screwed over. You know, by, by <laughs> but it's, um, I, I think you take that. And, um, and if you understand just like you said, if we help customers and if we ask them, do you believe Zappos has your best interest as a customer in mind? If you say yes, I think then you're on a good path. 
You both praised Nike for its use of data to help make business decisions, which, as you both pointed out in different ways, that there really should be a foundation in understanding your customers. And data analysis is only one activity and part of understanding what customers want. And as Devjani, you said with the Gartner webinar recently, there's definitely a rise of consumers demanding help and convenience from brands and retailers in exchange for their personal information. I will say they did make big strides. Nike purchased the predictive analytics company Select last year. And before this podcast, I went and I looked on Nike's website because I I knew there was a Nike app. I downloaded it once in the past. And then I found that there's actually like four Nike apps. There's the Nike Run Club, Nike app, Nike Training Club app, and then an app called Sneakers. And (laughs) so when I saw these three recommendations, I was like, I don't know about the social hub as being the best, just, you know, from a bird's eye view, because it seems like they already have social communities that they're running. So if you already have four apps, (laughs) do you need another one? Do you need another social aspect? So my last question before we move on to the next segment, out of the three recommendations, the chatbot the journey tour and the social hub, which one would you pick if you had to choose one as seeming like the best idea? I would go with the chatbot again with the caveat that this is one of many possible solutions. But the problem is um, just like like the Johnny said, is bring this helpful spirit, help spirit of helpfulness and customer service to the digital experience. You know, it's a little difficult to pick one, Julia, for the reason that I think you talked about the four apps, then they have the website, they have digital presence within the stores and so on and so forth, right? So essentially, each of these platforms, there is a purpose for it. And that purpose aligns for the location they are in, what the consumers want to do in the location. So, for example, the sneakers app is perhaps a community around running. Now, that has a different need for engagement, personalization, help, whatever the case may be, than the website on which Nike is doing the largest amount of e-commerce business, where the need is very different, which is about helping consumers make decisions with the right information at the right time, at the right moment in their journey. So my fundamental belief is, going back to the original thesis, is that data informs what the consumer needs in any moment on any given channel, which may be different from each other. And that information powers the brand with a decision that they have as to how to help that consumer in that moment. So, you know, we have worked for running apps. Strava was one of our customers very early on. The help, the personalization needed within that app was really about helping the consumer if they had some question in regards to running stats and so on and so forth. But if you are working for a retail brand that is doing e-commerce, you could think about chatbot, you could think about 
personalization in the moment as they're buying, very different communities, very different needs, and very different ways you can service the customer where you're adding value. All good points about having specific needs that you're addressing with the different channels. So let's move on to the next one. But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated end-to-end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently, scale seamlessly, and deliver remarkable customer experience. Find out more about what Vtex can do for your business at www.vtex.com. This might be one of the most unusual deals we've reported on. If you remember the Euro fashion brand Bebe, they used to have a lot of stores and malls. They purchased 47 of Buddy's Home Furnishings rent-to-own franchises. So it was a $22 million and $1.5 million share deal that includes the rights to additional franchises in protected geographies, specifically in the southeastern U.S., Buddy's owner is the franchise group, and they said the agreement includes plans for Bebe to open an additional 20 new Buddy's locations. And you might recall a few years ago in 2017, Bebe closed all of its physical stores and expanded its partnership with the brand management company called Blue Star Alliance. And when they did this, they turned over their intellectual property rights their international wholesale agreements, and all e-commerce URLs to their joint venture. Bebe CEO called recently the deal with Buddies a transformational acquisition that will diversify its profit stream and better utilizes existing net operating loss carry forwards. Deb Johnny, I'll pass this to you first. At first take, this acquisition seems a little odd. What are your thoughts on Bebe's push into the home furnishings vertical? This is an interesting one. We have been looking at very closely, especially over the last five, six months, is which are the sectors within e-commerce that are doing well within this COVID framework, if you would. And the ones that have been doing well are home furnishings, sporting goods, groceries, furniture in general, and things of that nature. And what we've studied as a result of looking at this matrix of e-commerce slash retail that's overperforming while the rest of their brethren in some cases are underperforming is that there might be some crossovers happening so that there can be synergies drawn among very specialty retail goods that don't have that much of a pull in these COVID framework scenarios to the ones that are must-haves like sporting goods and home furnishings and so on and so forth. This is new to me, but you know, from the news that you're talking about, there must be some of that synergies happening. Because if you're drawing people in for multiple purposes, especially with a category of goods that are universally appealing in the middle of a downturn, there is some upside to be had about that. Yeah, I don't think I can follow. Uh, the Janice analysis was really thoughtful and uh, in-depth. I, I don't think I can really follow that in, in a way, right? Because I'm not that familiar with retail stores and so on and their strategies. I mean, it feels like they're trying to diversify, as like they said, the revenue stream. 
I don't know if there's there's really a deeper strategy or, I mean, the analogy that comes to mind is movie stars buying a restaurant chain, right? Just <laughs> 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 to kind of diversify their, their income stream and so on. So Bebe was just this very iconic, right, fashion brand, irreverent, so on. And then to pair it up with home furnishings to me... Personally, to me, it doesn't make much sense, right, from a brand perspective, but maybe there is a deeper strategy there that's not apparent to me. I know the categories in general are doing pretty well. Johnny, you mentioned home furnishings, sporting goods, grocery. But to your point, Alex, I don't know if I believe them that they're really going to open an additional 20 new stores of Buddy's Furniture because it just seems like there is a bit of a downturn in the U.S. I mean, at least according to IBIS World, they're reporting that furniture stores, their revenue has been adjusted to decline almost 7% this year. So I think it's an odd one, and maybe it's just for the financial side of things. Now it's time to break for some good retail news. The NRF last week reported that retail sales in the United States grew for the sixth month in a row in October, with sales significantly better than the same time in 2019. Starbucks is raising hourly wages starting December 14th. Baristas, shift supervisors, and cafe attendants hired before September 24th will receive a pay increase of at least 10%. As of last week, Walgreens customers can now order and pick up health and wellness products from its stores in 30 minutes or less. Walgreens' mobile app also now features a broad range of health and wellness services, including a 24-7 pharmacy chat, medical care booking, and vaccination appointments. Over in China, one of its largest department stores, In Time, which is owned by Alibaba, has seen retail sales recover compared to a year ago with about 20% of sales currently coming from the online channel, according to its CEO as reported by CNBC last week. Well, let's talk about the third segment. In an effort to bridge the gap between mass retail and small business, Group 9 Media has launched its new swipe.shop mobile commerce platform on its website. So these are the people you know. They run the website called Now This, The Dodo, Pop Sugar, Thrillist, and Seeker. So there's a lot of viral content that gets pushed out through these sites that you might have seen when you're on social media. And among the numerous retailers that have opened mobile storefronts using swipe.shop include Gap, H&M, and Kohl's. So some pretty big players. And while Group 9 has committed that 50% of all products will be from small business owners, the media company will also promote stores among its social channels and out-of-home billboards and taxi shops in New York City. So a lot going on here. The company will provide 20 million impressions worth of free advertising space to 10 small businesses affected by the pandemic. Alex, what are your thoughts on the new Swipe Shop launch? Do you think this platform will bring some big wins for small businesses? And in general, what are your thoughts on, I mean, Instagram just updated their app so that you can shop even more through their platform. So do you think this is where we're moving? This is the diametric opposite of, uh, you know, the news of buying, uh, buying retail furniture stores, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so you, you had a, a few questions uh, in there. First of all, um, I think that's where things are going. And, and it's a very interesting trend of blurring the lines between entertainment and shopping. 
and it can be extremely effective for business. I don't know, on a, on a social level, I see making it so easy to shop, right? This can be addictive, right? So the, the psychologist in me is thinking, it's almost like enabling gamblers in a way, right? Making it super easy. But that's a different topic. I think it's a very interesting trend and uh, interesting application of these new technologies. And I believe that there's other related trends like social shopping and, and actually Asia is leading, is really leading in that, that respect. The US, I think, ironically, is lagging behind. But I think that's an interesting trend. Um, it has a huge potential. And then to your question about small businesses, that I'm not sure about. I think big businesses are going to take advantage of it and they're going to thrive. But small businesses, um, you know, we, we have these um, cautionary tales from like Groupon, right? Where it was a great platform and it offered a lot of promise and uh, a lot of small businesses got really burned from using it in, in the sense that they would generate a lot of interest, but that they couldn't fulfill it. Then their profitability took a dive and so on. So, so on that note, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think um, uh, Alex is right. I think uh, from the perspective of the social shopping, this example brings home to me multiple trends that sort of intersect and come together. Social shopping, we've always known from the early days of social media, one of the biggest reasons we buy something is that one of our friends said they bought it or they like it or whatever the case may be. Second, you know, this also speaks to mobile, right? Mobile location you know, shopping irrespective of location in the minute, wherever you are, et cetera, is really the way the next generation is going. It also speaks to a younger demographic that is very engaged in these forms of social media and really are sort of doing so in a collective group social setting, which speaks to a future trend or a here and now trend that is evolving very, very fast. And in regards to small businesses, I agree with Alex, it is to be seen. The one thing I will point out that again, in this COVID framework over the last six, seven, eight months, what we have seen is the likes of Shopify, et cetera, that enable small businesses to have better and better presence have done really, really well. So anybody who had to shut down storefront went to somebody such as a Shopify or something to that extent to put up a store to be seen how they do over time. But it certainly is a trend where small businesses are coming online and offering their goods online. So it's interesting to see. And I believe that all of those trends will sort of see themselves out in the next few months and years, and we will see where they go. Just to follow up on what uh, Johnny was saying about social shopping, Again, I'm not surprised that this is a huge trend and now technology is catching up because think about the way we shopped 500 years before, you know, BC or a thousand years BC, it was in the markets, right? In the agoras, in the, in the markets where people, it was shopping is social, if you think about it. And so now we're getting to this uh, point where we're enabling it with technology. But again, I think we need to go beyond the buzzwords and to think critically about what aspects of it are social, where it makes sense, right? Because now a lot of retailers would just, they think social shopping is you just bought something and then share it on Facebook. Like we have a button that said, I bought this pair of shoes. Like who does that, right? And 
And what's the Good purpose point. of that? Like maybe to brag, uh, but but that's not uh, that's one aspect of of shopping. It's like to show off, to brag. But then another uh, completely different aspect of social shopping is before you buy to ask your friends, is that is that good? Uh, am I going to good looking? Uh, am I going to look good in this, right? What do you think? So that's very, completely different. So when we lump everything under social and then we plug in the little uh, technology tools that we have available, right? Just share on Facebook and say, we're done. And then businesses are saying, well, it didn't work very well for us. So social is not really a great thing without really critically thinking, what are you exactly enabling? I would have to add to that, Alex, and I won't call out any brands. I'm feeling nice today, so I won't call out who it is, but I've seen a lot of, and I know it's hard for retailers, but they'll integrate the Instagram feed or another social feed, but it's not real time. It's curated because they want to have the control. But then what what you get as a user is pretty old posts in some cases. And it's like, why do they even have this feature? Yeah, exactly. So just said the check off a box, we integrated social somehow, right? But but mm-hmm. what exactly is the purpose of that? You know, one interesting data point that adds to this One of the features that we are enabling for retailers is on any given item, we are tracking the last five minutes of how many people are seeing it, how many people bought it, and so on and so forth. So it's getting a real-time moniker, if you would, in regards to the number of people. When Mexico women's team won the World Cup, we saw in real time the curve go up on the jersey that said MEH and it was selling like in real time like hotcakes. Long story short, it even amazes me how much that specific information drives sales. You would think, well, I see these monikers all the time. Yeah, but the data shows that People want to know if other people are buying it and how many are buying it. And it directly correlates to sell, which sort of goes to the idea that socially we need the reassurance that my peers and my fellow shoppers are buying things. That's a fantastic point of giant. As a social psychologist, I, mean, I can go into hours of giving you know the basic science behind this, right? Of, a lot of our reality is constructed by socially constructed. We don't know what's going on. We look at others to see what's <laughs> going on, right? Yes. And so there's there's a ton of studies. And then this is basically the sense of urgency, the sense of feeling left out if you don't have it. So very powerful psychological motivators. They And I hope they're used for good. That's all I can say is like <laughs> let, let them be used for good because they're so yeah. powerful that I mean, that can be abused easily. I'll be interested to see if we, because I have noticed not on the majority of retailers that I look at, but I've noticed on some of them, they're now putting how many people have bought the item. And so it's really relevant that you guys are talking about this now because it's something I've just recently taken note of. And I think it's weird. One more thing on the exclusivity, because I am doing this luxury series where I've been talking with a lot of luxury retailers and it's a different conversation, but it seems like there's some crossover because even with luxury, you want to see, oh, who else has bought it? How many are left? Yes. So Alex brought it up. So we think about it as urgency. We think about it as scarcity and we think about it as real-time in-the-moment engagement. 
which is how many people are looking at it now. And all of those have had amazing correlation to upticks in sales. And to your point, Julia, we haven't seen very much of a difference between essential goods and luxury goods other than the in the luxury goods segment, it is more subtle the way sort of it is treated, whereas in the essential goods, it's more just data that's made available. To add to that, uh, we've done a really in-depth uh, mindset or psychographic segmentation research within luxury for Zappos. I mean, it's not just for Zappos, just these mindsets, uh, luxury mindsets, and they're different, different ones. You know, there's some that are all about uh, strength and power. Others are about trend. Others are about creativity. And, and they're mutually exclusive. For example, Julie, you mentioned uh, how many people are looking at something. I mean, there is this aspect of luxury, which is I don't want anyone else to have it. Right. right? <laughs> in, in which case, which is like, oh, 1,500 people, bought, forget it. I'm not buying it. Again, you need to understand there's somebody who's driven by this, like, I want to be the only one who has it. and But then the other ones who say, oh, you know what, this is trending, so I need to have it. Yeah. Again, one size is not going to fit all. I agree. Well, I would like to take a moment to thank our amazing guests who have joined today to share their insights. We have Dabjani Deb, the CEO and co-founder of Zine One, and Alexander Jenoff, the head of customer research for the Zappos family of companies. Thanks for joining, guys. Thank you, Julia, for having us. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.